Hey guys, today's episode is about the future of transportation. And I first started thinking about this when I started trying to figure out or predict what an Apple car would be like. In about 2011, I wrote a blog post suggesting that Apple make a car because I was trying to figure out what could Apple actually make that more people would use than use smartphones. In other words, what's a bigger market that they could address? And one of the only ones I could think, other than TVs, which I still wish they'd made a TV, is uh, is cars. Um, and I thought about this really hard. Um, I listened to a car podcast for an entire year, um, and I thought about it as much as I could. And the thing I couldn't get past is, being that cars last so long these days... What could Apple offer you that would make you want to switch from your current car and buy a new one, especially considering this isn't like switching your phone out. This is a lot of money. And at the time, I just could not think of anything. And I still haven't thought of anything. Nor have I had anybody say something to me that I thought was a convincing enough upgrade to get people switch out their cars. The most common thing people say to me is, oh, it will have a great in-dash system. Okay, in-dash systems are pretty fine already. It's not a case where I'm going to sell my car to get a new in-dash system. And they already have an operating system for cars. Android has one too. Um, It doesn't give me trouble on a daily basis. And I drive nowadays. It's becoming an older car. So, And I don't hear people complaining. Granted, they're not great interfaces. They could always be better. But... I don't hear a better interface on your car in-dash system being something that's going to make you want to spend forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000, which is the kind of market that Apple's going to have to compete in because they're not going to give these cars away. Obviously, they're not going to sell them at cost. They're going to charge a premium. They're going to position themselves like BMW if they were to do it, which it's sounding more and more like they will not sell a car direct to consumers. They're looking into taxi systems. And I think that's great. That's another thing people say, well, it'll be self-driving. Okay, self-driving is table stakes now. Everyone has self-driving. And that's kind of the point of this podcast episode. But here's the thing with self-driving. Even if they go with taxis, like try to become Uber, um, Apple is not going to be able to produce as many cars out of the gate as Ford unless they heavily invest in production. For that investment, Apple's going to want to make a margin on the taxi sales or the ta- the trip sales, the price. And so I still cannot think of what is something that's going to make you want to pay extra to get a ride from Apple. Now we can all think of customizations. We can all imagine that one self-driving taxi is like a limo and it has a disco ball or a, a bar. Another self-driving taxi is like a van because you need to take cargo with you. You need to take kids. But as soon as you're talking about different types of vehicles like that, you're talking about customization. And that's something that Apple doesn't provide a lot of. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is when you have to invest in making a different type of car for everyone and a different type of phone for everyone, you're less profitable. And we can see that because Apple has fewer product SKUs than say Samsung or Ford and they are much more profitable per unit and 
there's probably tons of reasons why, but one of them is you need to switch over manufacturing facilities or you need to own multiple manufacturing facilities. You need to train and retrain workers. You need to, and a lot of these segments are not gonna be anywhere near as profitable as the others. So one of the ways that Apple has been profitable is they're not trying to address every customer. They're trying to make one design that addresses kind of the 80% of customer needs. That's been the case with all of their products. Well, most of their products and with their most successful products. So the iPhone is iPhone's an exceptional product because it is the fastest phone, but it's not the best phone at everything. It's the best phone that most people, or it's the phone that most people can make do with. Um, and, uh, you know, especially early on. And so the point is, I think that that would be their strategy with cars after all. And you're not gonna want those scenarios like that all the time where you want like a limo, self-driving limo to pick you up. And even if you did, anytime you're catering to everybody, you're competing against everybody, which means your margins are low. So Walmart and Amazon, their margins are way lower than Apple's are. Here's an example of how you'll have to compete against everybody in self-driving cars. Um, Uber already has to subsidize. I just learned this in the past few weeks. They subsidize 59% of the cost of a self-driving taxi. What this means is uh, they are basically uh, cutting off 59% of the price. They're eating that much of the price so they can charge you a lower price. Um, and as a result, so they're not profitable, they're losing money. The only reason they stay open is they keep finding new investment. And Uber is just competing against Lyft right now. So when everybody gets into Apple cars, or I'm sorry, self-driving taxis, you're gonna have even more people who are willing to take losses in order to, um, to win the pie or a piece of the pie. And a lot of times in cars, transportation specifically, a lot of the players that you have are government backed. So remember all the bailouts that car companies got and there's all types of transportation subsidies that companies can get. I mean, Tesla was a government, they received government loans. I'm not criticizing them. I'm just saying that these companies are backed by deep pockets and they don't need to make a profit. But Apple does. Here's another obstacle Apple is going to have. Um, short of you ordering a certain car because you like Johnny Ivey's uh, curved seat design. Um, when a, a a big example that I've I've heard people say is oh well you'll you'll pay for a car that your iPhone can control the infotainment system, but here's something I just realized the other day. There's a scene in the movie Zootopia, I think it's Zootopia. It's a it's a Disney Pixar type movie where people walk onto a bus and one of the people on the bus is this kid. It might have been Tomorrowland, but I think it was animated. This kid sits down and he's wearing a VR headset. And he just sits down and continues playing while he's on the bus. That's going to happen in real life. So at the point at which good AR, augmented reality glasses come out, what do you need an in-car infotainment system anymore? Specifically, especially if it's a taxi. I mean, if I'm taking a taxi with a stranger, which I'll do in order to get to it, people do it already, um, I don't want to see what your entertainment is. I don't want to hear your music. I want to hear my own. And we already know Apple is working on prototypes of AR glasses. So if they do a good job in AR glasses, then I don't care about what the, what's going on in the car. I can just watch my own movie, play my own game, read my own Facebook, hear my own music. So, but th there's a challenge that everybody's gonna have, not just Apple, getting away from Apple for a minute. Um, 
these cars are going to need so they're going to need to be self-driving and self-driving obviously um to have self-driving taxis so but the self-driving is great for uber this is why self uber wants self-driving so badly this is how i should have framed it they want it so badly because there's another statistic about uber that blew my mind which is that 80 percent of what you pay uber goes straight to the driver now I have a feeling, as I've said before, that I don't have a breakdown, but some of that's going to fuel, some of that's going to insurance, some of that's going to car maintenance. So let's say the driver keeps half of that. So what that means is 40% of the cost of an Uber is just going to uh, the person doing the driving to to keep as their wage. Um, It might be less, it might be 20%. So cutting out the driver, it still doesn't make self-driving cheaper than owning your own car. Taking a taxi everywhere, even an Uber in a big city, if it weren't for the cost of parking and space, it'd still be kind of, maybe not in a big city, in my city, let's just say in my city and many cities, especially if you live in the suburbs, and Uber is not a viable option yet, even if you get rid of the driver, I don't know if it'd be a viable option. The only way it's going to be a viable option is if these things are electric, and they can't just be electric because I think that if you're getting power from coal, it won't save you enough or my hunch, things I've been exposed to are telling me what it needs to be is solar powered. Now here's the good news. When you get to um, solar powered, uh, solar doesn't have the disadvantages on a self-driving taxi that it has on a consumer car. And that has to do with the range and the charging time, the nuisance of having to charge it. So right now when they do studies on buyers of electric car, cars a lot of them say yeah they keep a gas powered car and they keep an electric powered one or or they have a hybrid obviously and the reason is um it's called range anxiety so even though the range of these cars is getting pretty high they don't want to get caught somewhere where they don't have a charge um there's these things called supercharger stations now that charge your car fast but there's always lines for those those aren't everywhere and also you're not actually supposed to use them as the primary way to charge your car because they hurt the battery. So maybe we'll get around that limitation. But the idea is, if it's a self-driving taxi, you don't care. You don't care if it's hurting the battery. You don't care what the range is because they're not gonna send the taxi unless it can get you to where you need or you'd never use that service again. And you don't care how long it takes to charge because the charging's not gonna be done by you. It's gonna be done at a depot, like a station that's near you. Now, a few more things have to happen. Um, I haven't seen the breakdowns on, I think electric power, like it saves you money over gas, but it doesn't save you an enormous amount, I don't think. So there's probably gonna be advancements, but it's fine because there's gonna be tons of advancements still in solar panels. I think the cost has decreased 80% in two years or something ridiculous, that's almost half of a cost, you know, cost cut in half. Um, And then, what am I saying? That means the cost is 20% of what it was two years ago. Sorry. And then also battery technology needs to get better because these cars run on batteries. So the more efficient they are, it'll help these companies. Um, but that'll all happen. So I think self-driving cars are a certainty. And another thing I think is a certainty is you won't be able to drive yourself. Um, and the reason I say that is one, remember, and I'm not a lawyer, but as far as I know, driving is not a right. The public can dictate through laws what happens on public roads, and they even can dictate. So, like, I know you apparently you can get DUIs on private roads because they license you to operate a motor vehicle, and you could call that, you know, civil liberty overreach. Again, I'm not a lawyer, but my point is, 
my hunch is there's probably legal precedent to be able to regulate this because they regulate every other aspect of the car. And then also, you know, self-driving cars are already getting safer. They're not truly self-driving yet. Uh, it's There's five levels of autonomy, and I think Teslas can do like three levels. Um, but the point is, like you're not supposed to just let the Tesla drive yet, and that's how that one individual died in Williston, Florida, which is right near me. But the point is, um, they monitor the amount of accidents on Teslas. Um, they have those cameras that provide the self-driving feature are sending all that data back to Tesla. And even before that, I'm sure there were other sensors um, or maybe they keep track of their insurance claims. And the point is they publish data that accidents have already gone below what they were when humans were the only people at the wheel or the only entity of the wheel. And they're just going to get lower. And so at that point, you know, that's fine if you want to put yourself at risk, but accidents can involve other people. And so when everyone, this is going to elevate the standard of safety. So if you want to drive a substandard car, they're not going to let you risk others. And, I, you know, I'm sorry that some people are going to be sad because they'll lose enjoyment of driving, what have you. Maybe they can get that through VR. I, I know it sounds cute, but I think we're all going to be doing it eventually. Um, so I kind of sincerely mean it. But I, I think it's just going to happen. Another cool thing that's coming out is called the Hyperloop. And the Hyperloop, for those of you that don't know what it is, um, Elon Musk at a conference proposed, why don't we make trains out of the pneumatic tubes that you use at banks? And so it's a pressurized tube. And what that that does is it removes the friction that the cars that will carry humans will experience in there. So you can they can go very fast for low amounts of energy. And so theoretically, they're going to be cheaper to build than things like high-speed rail. Now, my friend Ian gets mad at me because he's very skeptical of that. And obviously, we'll have to see um, with R&D, uh, after the R&D costs, rather, you know, how much total did they spend? The first Hyperloop was going to launch between Las Vegas, Nevada and Los Angeles. And that's still going to be the case. It's going to make that trip take only 20 minutes. But it looks like Dubai actually is going to beat us um, in the Mideast. And I guess it's just a point of pride for them that they wanted to invest so that they have the first Hyperloop. And so we'll see who gets there first. That's uh, I think they want to have one open within a year. The way that they designed these things is they had a competition between universities, I think it was held down in Florida, to design what those cars that will carry their, their you know, their rail car style. They're going to have people in them. Actually, I think they're, I've heard they're more like a plane, so you'll have these front-facing seats. But, um, and... Uh, universities entered and I think the University of Florida was in the top 30 it might have been in the top 10 I seem to remember the number nine so I know they were in the top 30 which is great so good for them and this is gonna make transportation really quick even faster than self-driving cars um, another really cool use for these is shipping so believe it or not there's already a proposal among these investors to use these um, hyperloops as a uh, way to carry cargo between the U.S. and China. And I know it sounds crazy, but apparently, so there's already data transmission lines, like for the internet and stuff that go across the Pacific Ocean. So they just want to do the same thing, but with cargo. And apparently, these tubes are pressurized, so water won't get in when, if there's a leak. And if there's a leak, everything will just stop. So they can repair it. There shouldn't be too much cargo lost. And it'll still, it'll be faster than these shipping barges that we're currently using. And another benefit will be it'll use less energy. 
and another because another benefit is apparently the greenhouse gas emissions so uh in the same podcast i was listening to there's a crazy statistic it's like the biggest uh shipping barges consume like three percent or produce three percent of the world's carbon or three percent of the carbon that's produced from transportation it's just ridiculous and when you think about it it kind of makes sense because these ships are gigantic apparently the largest ones can hold 10,000 semi-truck size shipping containers all stacked up so i've never seen one but apparently they're gigantic you know, my friend Ian makes a good caveat with these things, the Hyperloop, because um, he's a big proponent of uh, high-speed rail. He thinks, and he has some economic um, data and theories that he believes supports it, and uh, he's a bright guy, so I actually want to learn more about the theories that he's looked into. But um, basically, uh, the Hyperloop, he says, is going to go too fast and make people sick. And... Um, to give you an idea, I think the first test of the Hyperloop was at, it was on a test track somewhere near the West Coast. It might have been in Nevada. And it was at 70 miles per hour. And they just completed a 200 miles per hour uh, test track or test run. And I think they said they want to get up to 700 miles per hour. So, which is cool. And, you know, uh, but what Ian said is those are enough to um, cause a lot of uh, nausea in humans, particularly when you're slowing down or, or when you're making turns. Um, so, and he says that high-speed rail use tricks like leaning into turns to help with the nausea. However, this is going to be hard on Hyperloop. He's not aware of a way that's possible because the cars are disconnected from the track. They kind of float. And so that, you know, I'm not sh- precisely sure how true that is, but Ian's not the only one I looked it up after him. And there is some data out there from engineers, people with engineering degrees saying the same thing, that the nausea will be a challenge for these things. Um, but, you know, um, I still think it's exciting and I can't imagine how great it would be to take, you know, a three hour trip up to New York for a weekend. Uh, so I really hope that they can get it done, that they can address nausea. Um, I'm going to have trouble because I am somewhat claustrophobic. So I may not want to go into them if they're too small. Some of the designs I've seen look kind of like planes, but not with two rows of seats, just with one row of seats, you know, two seats wide and then, a, a, you know, a walkable aisle next to them. Here's something else in the future of travel. Probably the last thing I want to get into flying cars. So, uh, the Google founders have been funding flying car startups and there's another one I heard of the Google ones. Theirs are not vertical takeoff and landing. So theirs still requires a runway. So this is still going to be something like a hobby approach for the rich, but there was a startup that recently test drove a, um, a flying car that has both vertical takeoff and landing and There is a company that wants to use giant drones or quadcopters for the same thing. So you'll sit on top of these four basically kind of like helicopter propellers that'll take you where you need to go. Now, my thing is, I think this could be really, really cool. And I think it'll have a place. I know that um, very rich people, executives, they already use helicopters to get around between business meetings, between cities in the Northeast, etc., or for fun. Um, For the rest of us, again, it's like 
how badly do you want something? So self-driving cars are already going to be faster than the way we currently drive cars because machines react more quickly and, and they're safer than us. They can predict crashes ahead of time. There's already footage out there of a Tesla. Um, you can watch video footage of it. It predicted a crash and began slowing a man down before the crash had happened by just monitoring for certain signs. And I don't know what the signs were. Um, maybe sudden swerving. So anyway, these cars can go faster. There's even talk that you're going to be able to eliminate traffic lights if the cars are able to communicate with one another. And um, so for getting around our own cities, which is usually what we want to do, I don't know if we'll need flying cars. Maybe we'll have hyperloops for everything else, you know, and at 700 miles per hour, do you need a flying car? But I think that the, I think it's definitely a possibility. Um, you'll have self-driving drone taxis. If you Google that, you'll be able to see a video of what I'm talking about. It looks really cool. They'll have all the safety benefits that cars do. One barrier to this, there's probably going to be more regulation because of things like fears over terrorism and um, just flight paths of other important vehicles. But there might be a place for it. Oh, drones. We're probably going to be having shifts shift to us with drones all the time now. So one last thing, you guys probably heard that Amazon bought Whole Foods. And uh, a lot of people think it was because, um, well, let me tell you what it wasn't because of. It was not because groceries are a good business. I looked into the margins of uh, Whole Foods and keep in mind, Whole Foods is a premium seller of groceries. They call it Whole Bank Account. There, there's various different names. They have like 3% margins and um, it just went down in the past year to 2%. And, uh, you know, Amazon, it, they don't, they innovate on supply chain. I haven't seen them innovate a lot in manufacturing, but they're probably going to do that. They do have their own labels, apparently. Some of the brands you're seeing on Amazon that have weird names, they actually own those. And so they probably own the factories. I need to investigate more. So you may see some innovation there as far as production of goods. Now, how does that translate to food? You know, to my knowledge, Amazon doesn't own farms yet. Maybe they don't need to. So maybe Whole Foods will get cheaper. But I don't think they bought Whole Foods because they want to be the bottom barrel prices. I think they bought Whole Foods because, um, you know, getting stuff shipped to you is still a luxury. It's a luxury that more and more people are able to afford. But if they were just looking for the cheapest stores, you know, there's already Dollar General. There's already other uh, grocery brands we can think of. I think they wanted to go um, premium because they want people who have the most dollars to spend. And so that's one reason they went Whole Foods. Another thing that occurred to me recently um, is maybe it's not that they want to own physical grocery stores. Maybe it's that Jeff Bezos saw that there's now, I think it's called Instacart, which is a startup that will do your grocery shopping for you. And he wants to own that. If it's going to be shipped like that, he's already got a supply chain for that. He already wants to have drones that deliver things. They have patents on this. They're testing this. So he doesn't want a third party making money on that. I really think this Instacart, I think that was the thing that might have solidified his mind on this. 
Why do I want somebody else shipping groceries if somebody's going to ship groceries? Or maybe he wants to do it. Or maybe he just wanted to increase Amazon Prime Pantry. If you have Prime now, you can get one shipment of groceries for free each month. But the selection is limited because Amazon doesn't have fresh food. So it has to be dry goods. And um, there's some frustrating things. So you can't like have automatic recurring goods. Um, it doesn't interact that I know with with Amazon. In other words, you can't count on the shipment from Prime Pantry each week. Um, so anyway, here's something else. So everybody lo- knows that Amazon loses money. They lose money most quarters that they've been in business. Why, so why do investors keep giving them money? The idea is, I think in the back of everyone's mind is, if you get somebody to be a loyal customer, like with Prime, if they start paying for Prime on a monthly basis, you can actually make some money on the on the pro. You can actually start charging a profit for the goods. In other words, if somebody's used to getting th- things from you, they'll go with you because you're easy, even if you charge three cents more than the competitor. And indeed, I've seen a breakdown that less and less Amazon is the bottom barrel. You know, Walmart is starting to. Um, they're going out of their way to try to compete with Amazon on price. They've always been a low price competitor and they succeed. Apparently they're cheaper than Amazon on a lot of things and they're starting to offer shipping. So I think the idea is if he offers groceries, that's another reason to get you locked into his ecosystem. It'll get you less worried about the price. And that means to an investor, he can turn on the profit spigot anytime he wants by raising prices. And so the final piece is if you want to sell fresh food to lock people in, you're not going to why keep that in just a warehouse? Why not have a grocery store that people can also go in and shop if they enjoy doing that? So I think that's why you bought Whole Foods. But anyway, guys, to wrap up, I think this might have been a little bit of a shorter podcast. I didn't really have any zingers I wanted to throw at you today, but I did want to just catch up on innovations I've seen in transportation. And it was fresh on my mind, something I, I, I heard about today. So I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and you know, I'm trying to do this once a week. I'm finding that I get more listeners when I do it once a week. So bear with me. I got more topics coming up and I really appreciate you listening. All right. Have a good day. Bye. Oh yeah. One quick extra segment before I go. Um, I saw a really cool concept drawing of a self-driving ramen stand in Asia and it's not out yet, but they want to have it out whenever the self-driving technology, as soon as it's available. And so they're they're trying to build it and design it now. And I think that's amazing. And what it got me thinking of is, I think every store will be like that. I think there'll be a self-driving version of every store. I think the clothing store will come to you. The mall will come to you. You know, for a premium or only when you need it. You know, maybe you don't need Best Buy to come to you all the time. But maybe for the one time that you uh, aren't sure what you need and you want to talk to an advisor, whatever. Um, restaurants could come to you. Or food trucks become real food trucks. You get on the truck and they only serve their food in there. Um, So I think there's some really cool things that could happen with self-driving cars um, that we can't even think of right now, obviously. Another really cool thing is um, Elon Musk, he has a new company. He always has a new company. But you may have heard of his company called The Boring Company. And it's called The Boring Company because it makes drills and they drill underground. And what he said they're drilling for is to um, get bypass traffic in cars. You'll get on the your car will get on these little elevators that go underground, and you'll use tunnels like the one that goes under the English Channel, apparently. But the, this, um, so a lot of people say 
that it makes sense for Hyperloops. And so it just came out. They Elon Musk's company, Boring Company, officially announced, I think via his Twitter, that they are working on building Hyperloops. He was not involved previously in building Hyperloops, but now he is. He said he didn't have the time for it before, but now he is. Um, and it's just amazing how quickly, and granted, that's the advantage of being a billionaire. But I just love that he has all these ideas and he has the energy of the time to put the teams together to actually get working on them and you know we haven't seen one of them come to full fruition yet you know there's not a tesla in every home um you know we're, we're not on mars yet but he's making progress and i think it's it inspires people um so it's really cool and the boring company is going to have challenges um some of the cha you know it's hard to drill through things there was a tunnel they were trying to build in seattle for a subway system and it went you know, it took like a year longer than it was supposed to and way over budget because they encounter things that are difficult to drill through. There's also things like things you're not supposed to drill through, like um, power and uh, other types of cables, gas and all those different pipes. Um, and then there's logistics. Nobody's done this before. You know, try to create networks of tunnels under cities like that um, for cars. Uh, and also... Um, so, but but one of the ways he's addressing that is he has he does I guess you could say Elon Musk does small measurable goals. So he says we want to make like a hundred percent or a five hundred percent improvement in the speed of underground drills within a year. And so um, I think another way he leads is you set your sights really high so that if you fail, you still get all this other stuff built in. Literally, if they don't make Mars, they get the moon. Um, probably you get what I'm saying. But, um, so the idea is, you know, he'll set this unreasonable goal, but he's hoping that they'll at least achieve, even if they, maybe he thinks they'll achieve all of it. My point is, even if they just achieve a little of it, we'll all benefit. And, um, so anyway, guys, um, nice talking to you again. Sorry for the extra this time and hope to talk to you soon. Bye.